Hey, Cortex fans, been a while. Glad to be back. As always, I am your host, JT, and I'm joined by my cute pink fluffy ball of a co-host, Kirby. Hey, everybody, it's good to be back. Sorry, I had to throw the pink fluff ball in because, you know, it had to be said at some point. I think that pretty much everyone thinks of that guy whenever they hear Kirby, so. I mean, honestly, it's it's what the fans want, so I, I will pander to that just fine. Yeah, I guess the only other one that I could think of was uh, Jack Kirby, which, you know, great drawings and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And before we get started, we'd like to give a special shout out to one of our D20 Radio Sister shows, Squad Tactica. And that's a uh, Warhammer 40k Kill Team podcast hosted by a friend of the show, Sugi. Um, you may remember that we actually answered some of Sugi's questions in a previous episode about uh, Cortex Prime. And uh, we actually were on uh, his podcast to talk a little bit about Cortex and Cortex Prime and uh, how that all works. And uh, on the most recent episode of Squad Tactica, Sugi has on guest Steve and Tycho from Play on Tabletop to talk about all sorts of Warhammery goodness, and they discuss the history of uh, Kill Team Challenger, uh, some of their production process, and some of their favorite things about Kill Team. So uh, it's very cool. You should definitely go check it out because... Uh, it's a fun show. Uh, Sugi has a lot of great guests, he has a lot of great topics, and he's just a great guy in general. Let us know also if you'd love to see Sugi back on the show, because we definitely would love to make that happen. So, uh, yeah, let us know, and uh, on with the show. Uh, well, we are finally back with a brand new episode, and uh, on top of that, and we'll, we'll probably mention this in our next episode or two, just because we're like episodic and people can skip around, but we're back. Uh, we took a short break because uh, basically JT and I got super busy because surprise, surprise, we're, we're not actually, this, this is not our day job. But, you know, life happens and uh, editing takes a lot of time, etc., etc. And so basically, we're looking to do one episode a month right now. We'll do a second episode if and when we get interviews again, or maybe we'll do like short episodes if there's like particularly like special announcements. Although you could just be going straight to the source for special announcements. Basically, the fandom has their weekly news thing that they do on Twitch, right? Uh, which I, I don't recall if that gets actually gets published anywhere. So maybe we could still do announcements. I, I don't know. I'll look into that. But that's basically the new like release schedule we're looking at um, for right now. I think looking back at what we've done before, oh boy, we, we were kind of going hard. I, I think at certain points, we had two episodes out a week. And uh, yeah, I need some sunshine and fresh air. I don't think I can keep up that pace anymore. Yeah, no, I feel you, Kirby. And I think that that'll be a better situation for everyone then, because that way uh, we get content out regularly, but uh, we don't burn ourselves out. And our listeners also don't have to worry about keeping up with a whole bunch of stuff coming out every week. So, you know, win-win, I think. Right. So before we actually get into the crux of uh, this week's episode, we do have some Tales of Exadia news, right, JT? So they announced that uh, for anyone who has already pre-ordered, you should now have access to 
the digital tools that they've been developing. And uh, we've been told that these tools are actually uh, the same sort of things that they're going to be doing with the general Cortex digital tool set. And so uh, everything that they've done in development for Tales of Exadia will also be applicable to the tools that we'll have for just general Cortex Prime things. So yeah, go ahead and uh, give that a try. And I'm, I'm pretty excited for the digital tools in general, which I, I think, so we have this Tales of Zadia specific one, but I believe we're getting uh, a broad general tool set, which I think would be good for a lot of people uh, because we're not all uh, Melly who can make these fantastic uh, Google Sheets, um, which I've dabbled in it takes a little bit of time even setting up like a decent looking sheet for that. So I, I think this would be good for a lot of people and more approachable, certainly, especially for like pickup games, right? Yeah, for sure. Although we could always have Melly come on and do a uh, Cortex spreadsheet tutorial, but uh, I guess that'll be for another episode, maybe. I'm sure there'll be riveting content for a completely voice and audio format, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hey Cortex fans, well uh, when we actually recorded this episode, uh, we weren't able to include some breaking news uh, that we thought would definitely be relevant and was important to share on the show, and that news is that the Cortex role-playing game, Cortex Prime and related uh, games, have received a total of seven nominations at this year's Ennies. And for those of you who don't know, the Ennies are an annually hosted series of awards that go to RPG products and games, and they're sort of like the uh, Oscars of the tabletop RPG world. Uh, so it's a big deal that uh, Cortex has been nominated for seven different awards, and those awards include uh, Best Product, Best Game, Best Rules, Best Layout and Design, Best Interior Art, Best Cover Art, and best family game for Tales of Exadia, the Dragon Prince RPG Primer. So yeah, um, that's an incredibly well done job for the uh, Cortex team and fandom and Cam Banks and all of them. And we'd just like to uh, give them our congratulations. We're really excited and happy that they uh, had the honor of receiving so many nominations. And uh, we're definitely going to be uh, rooting for them because they, they, they really have worked hard and they do deserve to be recognized for that. All right, back to the show. Well, let's talk about this week's episode. Uh, we are going to be doing special effects. This is abbreviated as SFX, and it could be coming to a Cortex game near you. And in fact, most Cortex games should be coming in with at least one special effect. Uh, which is the Hendra special effect. But before we talk about that, let's just talk about what special effects even are. Well, you already sort of give a little bit of a spoiler because SFX stands for special effects. So there you go. Special effects or SFX are a kind of uh, benefit or bonus that generally occur under particular conditions. They're attached to a trait set. And so they basically help you some special abilities or like rule bending things in your game that sort of uh, highlight how awesome your character is. Like you said, they come with a benefit. Uh, they usually come with some sort of cost. But to kind of like give more context for people who are listening and who maybe haven't read that part of the book yet or have only heard it in passing, like maybe you've already started playing Cortex, uh, but you yourself haven't read the uh, book. 
But one way to kind of think of it is um, basically like they're what other games might call feats uh, or special abilities, etc. We've seen this kind of thing in other games before. Uh, it's not it's clearly not like a one for one necessarily. You know, there, there are a lot of games that give you uh, these rule breaking things that you can do. But sometimes they don't come at a cost or sometimes like the math behind all of that uh, is a little different. Right. Uh, so it's not quite one for one, but you might be familiar with just the general concept of special effects from that. Also, if you played previous Cortex games, uh, they've also had special effects as well. They might have been called something different. Like I know for sure the Firefly role playing game used to call them triggers. And uh, those were hanged um, under the umbrella that are distinctions, right? Actually, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that I dropped a spoiler because uh, fun little trivia fact, I think before the release of Cortex Prime, like literally just, I think, months before, if I recall correctly, I believe special effects were going to be called spoilers. Some sort of discussion happened uh, behind the scenes, and I guess that changed. I think that's like right around the time that I joined onto the uh, Cortex bandwagon. So I might be misremembering here uh, a little bit, but that was like earlier that year. Uh, it was on track to be called spoilers, and then they changed that at the last second, which I like special effects better. Uh, I think it makes more sense. Yeah, me too. And I do think you were right. I think I do remember at some point they were going to be called spoilers, but then that changed. So one thing I want to ask you, Kirby, now, since you brought it up, is uh, you sort of compared the SFX to uh, like feats or th things like that in other games. So now I, I know that uh, Cortex Prime in particular has a trait called Talents. And I think a lot of people sometimes think of that as kind of being like feats. So how would you differentiate then uh, the special effects from what talents are? Yeah, so special effects in general, they're typically uh, hanging off of a specific um, trait set. You're not typically writing them by themselves. Uh, and if you are writing them by themselves, I mean, they're, they're effectively talents at that point, which is a thing in Cortex Prime, right? A talent is a special trait that doesn't have a die rating attached, but it has like a block of descriptive text that comes with a uh, special effect. It's just unhinged special effects, as it were. We'll talk more about talents. That might not be like the most accurate descriptions of the uh, of what a talent is and what it could be doing for your game. Uh, but there are a lot of similarities between a talent and a special effect. Today, we're talking about special effects and, you know, what's a good time to be using special effects? One of the most useful situations to include special effects with your trait sets is when there's the possibility of two characters having very similar traits or the same rating in a particular trait, and you want to be able to differentiate them. So uh, special effects can kind of work as a differentiator because you can sort of elaborate or come up with special things involved with that trait that will allow the character to really shine as an individual and do something that no one else does. One person might have super speed and another person might have the ability to uh, teleport. And uh, even though, you know, narratively, those things look different, sort of mechanically, it's sort of like the same idea. You're going to get somewhere faster than you normally could. Uh, so you can add in little special effects, like uh, special things that you could do with teleporting that you could 
never do with a super speed, like teleport an entire group of people at once, you know, whereas uh, with super speed, you know, you might be able to drag a person along, but you can't just like send a whole group somewhere else instantaneously. For super speed, you could do things like, you know, like run, a, run around in a circle and create a whirlwind, which wouldn't work with teleportation. So that's just an example I was thinking of. A key word here that I really like that the book uses is that adds texture, uh, like what JT was saying. I mean, that's effectively what JT was saying, says adding texture to who your character is and is building a difference between your character and others. Because, you know, if, if we're talking like The Flash, which has a million speedsters, uh, both in the comics and in the CW show, how do you uh, make yourself uh, distinguish from the other speedsters? And that kind of depends on the scope of the game. But if we're talking about like a general superheroes game and you're doing a storyline where, you know, the, the team, the, the player characters have a speedster on their team, but then they have another speedster that they're going up for for an antagonist, right? You know, we're going to see a lot of similarities there. So kind of depends on like where you're putting special effects because we've talked about it before and we're about to talk about it a little bit more but uh, let's say that you're using like power sets which is something that we're going to talk about in a uh, couple episodes you know the, the book has a lot of different special effects there but if you wanted to write your own which i guess we can transition into what it looks like to be creating your own special effect you could be looking at this way like how are the uh, species different? If we establish that they're literally like going at the same speed, then perhaps the special effects can be written in that they use that speed differently. Um, one speedster might run out and create a large, massive tidal wave running across the water, which the other speedster can do, but it's not something that they're either just not good at or it's just something that they don't think to do and so the other speedster might be super good at really coordinating uh their speed in such a way that they can get um a lot of people out of the way of danger better than the other speedster we, we've kind of talked about this a little bit in previous episodes i think i think we mentioned in passing that like you know the thor and the hulk would probably both have like a d10 or d12 strength die or whatever the equivalent is for your build right you can use special effects to illustrate how how they're strong in different ways right because you know hulk smash yeah so like hulk might have a special effect where the Hulk just spends a plot point and down goes a building. Thor might might be able to destroy a building, swinging, uh, throwing his hammer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but maybe he can't destroy it as fast. Or maybe for the Thor, it's it's more surgical precision than it would be for Hulk, at least comparatively, right between the two of them. I would definitely say like with Thor's hammer, which has definitely got to be his signature asset, right? I mean, that definitely has some uh, electrical properties there, and those could definitely play in with a special effect, too. If you wanted to add a little oomph to your hit with your hammer, you know, get some yeah. uh, lightning going, and boom. It's probably easier to think about special effects when they're tied to magical or... Um... Uh, magical abilities and such but you can totally have like a non-powered game where it has special effects right oh yeah for sure and so you can have like two characters who are like i don't know grizzled vets right 
And maybe that's like literally their distinction, uh, either because they both thought to write it that way, or maybe they're playing with a pre-written list of distinctions, right? And they just both happen to grab that distinction. You can use special effects to distinguish them a little bit more. Maybe one grizzled vet um, has a special effect where it's easier for them to connect with other veterans. Whereas like maybe the other uh, grizzled vet used to be a drill instructor and uh, has a way with words, so to speak, and motivating other characters. So maybe that, maybe that grizzled vet can raise their blood pressure stress and, but give another player uh, a stunt die um, that helps them in this situation that motivates them, right? Not the best example. I'm just kind of riffing here, but yeah. Man, now now you're you got me thinking about a game where you've got like a resource that's like your blood pressure. <laughs> How much you accomplish, you know, without raising your blood pressure too high and uh Yeah, that's my uh <laughs> humans and offices uh, build. Oh, there you go. Oh god. All right, you heard it here first. But let's talk about creating special effects. I do want to make sure we don't forget that it's generally assumed that there's at least one special effect in your game, and that's the Hinder special effect. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Hinder special effects, you may have seen if you've played Cortex Prime, uh, because it comes up a lot, is where you will earn a plot point by switching out your or one trait value that you have for a D4. Even if you have like a D12 superhuman strength, you might be able to, or you would be able to earn a plot point by switching that out for a D4. And so you're basically complicating things a bit because you won't be able to roll as high with that D4. And you're also going to have a uh, higher chance of a um, complication popping up. Right. And it's just, it's one of the ways that your players are going to be gaining plot points. So something I like to uh, make sure I drive in with new players is that you know you're you're only really out of plot points when you want to be out of plot points. For the record, that's not my saying. It's a common saying I think on the Discord. Part of the reason why people say that is because of the hinder special effects. Um, at some points, you know, you just gotta take a moment where you're potentially not going to do as great, right? So that you can get a plot point later on. And it just goes to show that you know, for every you know good thing about a character or every like cool thing there can always be drawbacks to stuff you know like superhuman strength can always end up breaking something you didn't want to break you know you never know you know you could end up you know crushing someone's hand when you're shaking it or something so it's it's just a way also to show that you know it's not always going to be to your benefit this special ability you have or this property and, you know, we talked about how special effects can provide texture to a situation and special effects just by existing and how they're being written for your specific game provide texture, in my opinion. But also you can be applying even more texture mid gameplay by describing how why you're being hindered right now. Right. Uh, we kind of go about that in our distinctions episode, I think, when we talk about uh the good and bad distinctions. Um, I think we spent a little bit of time talking with uh, Josh Roby about it too, when they were on the podcast. Yeah. There's yeah. With, with these dice, like even if, you know, special effects aside, you should be letting dice 
color the situation. It's very easy for players in this game and other role playing games to like look at their sheets when you're giving them like multiple options, right? For you know, letting them decide what they roll. It's very easy for them to just look at their sheet and be like, well, these two skills are the same. Uh, I'm just going to roll it. It doesn't matter. But it kind of does matter. Uh, it, it should be coloring the situation. At least for me as a game moderator, it helps me decide uh, what failure is going to look like or what success is going to look like and what that could lead to. It helps me decide what the uh, if I'm playing Pathfinder, the uh, difficulty class, the DC is going to be. And it helps here, uh, even though, you know, your game moderator is going to be rolling the difficulty against you, uh, taking a moment, even just like a little line to say, I'm hindering myself because I think I'm going to accidentally crush this guy's hand because I'm so uh, strong and I just got done with the fights and I'm not thinking about controlling my strength anymore. Um, And this is going to remind me potentially, right? Totally. And uh, I, I think it would be helpful, actually, if we sort of go over, because we were talking about creating special effects, what some of the uh, components and uh, types of costs and benefits uh, you can get with special effects. We already mentioned it. Uh, every special effect should come with a cost and a benefit. And GT and I were actually talking about this before the show, but there's something to writing special effects where you have to decide you're, you're kind of like low key doing like world building. Right. And it's just like, should this beaster have to, you know, spend their sessions or milestones or whatever to pick a special effect that lets them run on water or can't speedsters just do that. Right. In which case I'm not going to write the special effect, but uh, in terms of getting to the specifics of cost and benefit, uh, JT and I were talking about like how there's kind of an, unwritten uh cost right to how often is this thing this situation really going to come up because you'll come across pre-made material or you'll get in situations where you're creating your own special effects and you have to justify like why does this special effect seem to get more bang for his buck than this other special effect that was written right and the answer to that might be just purely because it's not going to come up much Uh, but yeah, let's get into what the book covers for costs and benefits. JT, what are some of the costs uh, that might be applicable to a special effect? Probably the most common cost for a special effect is to spend a plot point. And, you know, uh, a lot of Cortex games are going to be incorporating these plot points because they just add this sort of narrative dimension and allow you to sort of like manage these different abilities and things that people have. So a lot of times that's how you're going to be spending them is to activate something like a special effect. Other things you can do is uh, step down one of your dice, like like we talked about for the uh, hinder special effect. On the flip side, you could always uh, step up something that's non-beneficial to you, like maybe if you had a complication. And actually, uh, one of the things that Kirby and I were talking about is that sometimes you don't even need to spend a plot point or introduce a complication in order to uh, activate a special effect, because maybe you just narratively do something that would be a bad idea or complicated. And as long as you're complicating your the narrative enough to create problems, then that might be worth the effect of a uh, special effect. You can get creative with that, you know. 
Yeah, definitely. And we we do have some examples. So, you know, this flying over your head or if you're having like, what, what's the term? Like choice paralysis, right? Trying to figure out like what cost goes uh, better with what benefit. Maybe this will help you because uh, we are going to do some examples where we're kind of drawing from stuff we've written, drawing from stuff that has already been written for official material and kind of our thinking behind it, which to be clear, JT and I have not written anything for official material. I, I should probably clarify. But yeah, it's it's. I, I think it's easier to think about what the benefits are for this cool thing that the player is going to be able to do and harder to write a cost, at least for me it is, right? You know, if, if I were the riff here, uh, like spending a plot point, which has already been pointed out both by JT and in the book as being the very common cost is very, very easy to just lean on. But, you know, when when is a good time to step up like a non-beneficial diet, which is listed as one of the things, right? You know, if I wanted to riff here, if I was doing like, if I want to do like the cl- classic D&D barbarian, like reckless attack, maybe they get the benefits of doing more damage or whatever. And the cost is that they're stepping up everyone else's like um, attack die against them, right? So we can choose to do or introduce some risky things. I think you also mentioned creating a complication. Yes, the standard is to create a D8 complication in order to activate a special effect. And so like, for example, with your barbarian uh, and the uh, reckless attack stuff, one option could be to uh, create a complication that could be related to aggro, you know, people coming after the party, or maybe even an inability to control, you know, your anger or whatever. You got a point there because um, that's actually probably the better cost there, right? I I said to step up everyone else's attack die against you, but really what I'm saying is that they should be able to roll a complication against you. So creating a complication where like the complications maybe just literally called um, reckless attack is what people roll against you instead of stepping up their own stuff. So as you can see, though, you can do other things besides spending and earning plot points uh, with these special effects. You know, you can get different types of benefits. And uh, so we we mentioned uh, a couple of those already. But do you want to talk about some of the other benefits that you can get from special effects, Kirby? On the flip side, you, you could be stepping up a beneficial die, which I kind of touched on when I was riffing the uh, barbarian special effect idea. Um, you could be doubling a uh, beneficial die, which I guess to circle back a little bit um, to clarify, stepping up means to make larger. So uh, stepping up a d6 becomes a d8, etc. Uh, and then doubling is like you're you're taking that specific trait die and doing just doing a second die. So if that's a specific beneficial die is a d6, then you're just going to get a second d6 for that roll. And on that note, you know, in terms of deciding when to double or step up. That's going to kind of vary depending on the situation, like whether or not you're going to need that extra die for an effect die. But generally speaking, uh, it's a good idea to step up small dice like your D4 and D6 and double your large dice, your D8s and above, if you're looking for uh, when to do which. Some of the older games don't usually talk about stepping up or doubling. Uh, they usually just tell you to do one or the other. Uh, and I think more modern games for Cortex Prime, people are writing it to where it's an option, either step up or double. But, you know, there's uh, there's other benefits here. You could be stepping down a non-beneficial die. This is usually going to be a complication. You can be introducing 
a non-mechanical story detail. The example they give here is, hey, I think I know that guy's brother. You could be renaming a complication where it's like, I'm not sickened, I'm angry. You could be re-rolling a single die, uh, or you could be creating a D8 asset for the rest of the scene, which I believe that when you're creating D8 assets like this, uh, it's normally referred to as stunts, if I'm not mistaken. To circle back to re-roll a single die, it's it's curious that they don't mention it um, when there's so much like official material that lets you just re-roll an entire dice pool. But potentially, if, if you feel like it's warranted, if it's going to be that powerful of an effect, you know, there there is a precedent to re-rolling entire dice pools. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you got me thinking, Kirby, because uh, when you're talking about all of these various benefits that you can get besides plot points, uh, like, for example, you talked about the uh, stepping up versus doubling. And I was thinking that a lot of these uh, benefits, you know, you could sort of tailor to the uh, narrative as well, where, you know, maybe if you have two pistols, maybe you're going to want to double it to represent, you know, the sort of uh, damage or the chaos created by shooting off two pistols at once, you know, whereas maybe, you know, if you've got like a like a single shotgun or something, you can sort of think about uh, stepping it up in terms of just getting like a really good shot at someone or maybe like shooting from a closer range or whatever you might think. But I I could just see that as uh, another good way to sort of decide how you're going to structure these special effects if you're creating them. So for and and for like stepping down a non-beneficial die, like a complication, for example, you know, maybe uh, you have a special effect where you can sort of ignore pain. So like if you have a broken arm complication or something, you know, you could sort of work through that pain narratively and, you know, you have a special effect that'll let you ignore that so that you can uh, have a a better chance at uh, succeeding at what you're trying to do, you know, and the pain isn't going to, you know, stop you as much. I think that in terms of deciding how to structure it. A lot of it can just come down to uh, personal preference, but also just what best fits the narrative of what the special effect is doing too. You're not going to be left uh, high and dry in terms of writing your own special effects. The book itself does give uh, a handful of quote-unquote standard special effects. There's also just plenty of special effects to be found in uh, both the old games, which maybe need a little modernization uh, if you're bringing it to prime. Uh, but also if you like go to the back of the book uh, with powers and abilities, you can find special effects there. Uh, but the kind of like six standard ones that they give uh, is what they list on page uh, 63 of the cortex prime handbook. Basically it's the exchange. Uh, we kind of talked about that earlier where you're bettering a useful die for yourself by either stepping up or doubling it, but you're like stepping down another one. The second one that they give is like the price you're stepping up or doubling um, useful dice, or you take a uh, D8 asset for a steen, but also take a uh, D8 complication. And in this situation, you would pick one benefit, not both. You might also swap. That's basically where you like spend the plot points to use a different die than you normally would for the situation. You might make an edit where you're you're spending a plot point to essentially be the game moderator for a second there. You're declaring a beneficial thing. There's the folly. Uh, you earn a plot point when you choose to do something detrimental. 
related to the distinction. Um, and then there's the shutdown. Uh, you declare that you can't do this thing um, as is appropriate to the situation or whatever it is attached to and get a plot point for that, which we're actually going to talk about that even more here in a second. Oh, uh, but to circle back to one of these, the one that I mentioned, that's the price where it says step up or double one useful die for the scene or take a D8 assets for the scene. Uh, where, where you're specifically choosing one benefit, but not both, uh, and also take a DA complication. There is something to be said that like you could write special effects where there's multiple benefits or even multiple costs. I would say, you know, it should still be one for one uh, that if you're going to let players take multiple benefits from a single special effect, the cost should rise with it. But probably the better game design's decision here to avoid some lopsidedness and some weird funkiness with special effects is to just like list different benefits, but maybe just let them only pick the one benefit. It could get a little potentially a little sloppy, uh, offering a lot of benefits for next to nothing, right? Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there, Kirby. I would probably stick with one one cost, one benefit whenever possible. Of course, uh, as you said, if a particular benefit or cost is particularly large, then it could merit a larger uh, benefit or cost in return. You know, we were talking about uh, trying to avoid, you know, choice paralysis. And so, again, like the more options you give someone, the harder it may be for them to just, you know, make a decision. And so... uh, I think just anytime you can cut down on the number of decisions that need to be made, you know, in the middle of a game like that is a good thing. Before we conclude what the book covers in terms of special effects and start talking about our own thoughts, there is one mod that's written out for special effects. Yes, it's the only mod actually that I see written out for special effects, and that is limits. And uh, limits are specifically applied to uh, powers. And maybe abilities, but you know, uh, it basically throws back to the idea of you know superheroes not always being able to you know use their special powers or abilities all the time, or that they might have some sort of weakness that you know disables their powers. Right, Kirby? Right. Yes. And so there are different flavors of limits that you could be writing here. We'll actually talk more about this when we get to the episode where we do powers and. Uh, abilities uh, because those specific sections give you an idea of what different limitations can look like. Uh, But one limit that you might have in your game, if you have a game that has like weapons for signature assets or even just a a game where you have gear, it's well, it's literally the gear limits, uh, which to paraphrase it, effectively the idea is if you have a piece of gear, it's subject to getting lost broken or in the case of a weapon maybe you're running out of ammo and so uh, in order to overcome that limit uh, you typically have to make uh, i believe the book says that you have to make some sort of test and of course you can rewrite that to go with uh, specific gear the the tests that you might have to roll might be uh just simply doing a repair action on the gun or uh simply doing a perception check uh which I try not to do perception checks in games uh, anymore if I can help it. Uh, But maybe you're like on the battlefield and you do perception check looking for more ammo for your gun, right? 
And again, this is not just for guns. Maybe your shield breaks or maybe your trusty rope uh, snaps, right? Uh, and so you get a plot point, but there's some caveats with that, right, JT? Yes, uh, you do get the plot point. In exchange, you end up shutting down uh, some sort of benefit like a power or gear like you were talking about until some other requirement is met either by like waiting till another scene or until you were talking about like doing a test to fix whatever the issue is with the gear. Uh, so a another thing is that you can actually have the GM uh, activating limits sometimes by uh, spending a plot point. You could also, if you're using a doom pool, you could use a doom pool die. But usually if the GM is going to do that, you should probably give the player the option to activate it themselves just because if they are not the ones activating it, then they won't gain the plot point for doing it. So, uh, you know, just to always allow the players to be able to get that extra edge and, you know, get something in return for having something complicate their lives, uh, it, it's always good to not try to screw them out of that. Right. It's kind of like a halfway between a hitch and the hinder special effect. The hinder special effect is firmly in the player's hands in terms of deciding when to like actually hinder themselves. And it's kind of the same idea here where preferably the player is the one making that declaration is like, uh, I'm out of ammo. I, I just emptied my magazine, right? But it's kind of like halfway between a hitch too, because, you know, if the player decides not to take that opportunity, the GM can just spend a plot point or doom die, right? To just do it. They don't need the player to have rolled a hitch. Arguably, I probably shouldn't have mentioned hitch to avoid that confusion. Uh, the GM is not explicitly activating a hitch when they're doing this. They're just flat out spending the plot point. So like, it's kind of like in fate when you're uh, introducing compels, you know, the GM can, you know, try to compel you and they generally will offer you a fate point when they do that. Uh, but the player can also choose to earn fate points by, uh, you know, compelling themselves. And so uh, the idea there, though, is that you're always trying to let the player benefit when that happens. Right. And uh, it's it's interesting you bring up fates. Um, I'm sure like, well, I've talked to players who are familiar with fates and cortex always seems to remind them of fate and that's fair because i, I believe uh that cam banks was effectively how did he phrase it i think cam phrased it as uh phrased it as effectively being the same quote-unquote think tank uh as uh as the designer for fate um which is a system i'm not too familiar with uh, that said, I have always enjoyed what Fate has brought to the table for other game systems, uh, not just Cortex Prime, but for like City of Mist, which is basically powered by the apocalypse meets Fate, right? So it's another fun trivia fact. I guess we're getting through all three trivia facts that Kirby knows about the kind of behind the scenes for Cortex. <laughs> well, then I'll throw another one you which is that you know those uh, six standard special effects we were talking about that those were sort of the uh, go-to by uh, the game designer Leonard Balsera who was like the main designer on Fate Core so so yeah you know they, they've been involved with uh, Cortex as well and so I definitely think you know Cam and uh, Leonard know 
each other and have definitely, you know, exchanged ideas and that there's definitely influence uh, on one from the other. Oh, for sure. And obviously for the better, right? I think that about covers it for special effects. Now, you're more than welcome to stay. Uh, JT and I are going to go over, I think, roughly half a dozen different special effects uh, that we'll probably discuss for, I don't know, next 20 minutes if we're talking about unedited audio. But yeah, uh, that's that basically covers special effects in a nutshell. We'll probably be talking, well, not probably, we will most definitely be talking about special effects again in the future when we cover our uh, powers and abilities episode. Uh, let's talk about some example special effects, right? Because we've, we've rifted some here, but JT and I um, have a couple of uh, special effects that were officially written uh, by professional uh, writers. And then some of our own amateur special effects. So I'll, I'll just start with two professional ones uh, that I'm going to read off now. Again, these are not ones that uh, JT and myself have written. We're not professionals. There's one from Firefly, which back then they were called triggers for that specific Cortex build. Uh, and in Firefly, they um, hanged special effects off of distinctions uh so you would have you would have this massive list of pre-made distinctions and pre-made special effects and every distinction came with two special effects because the third was assumed to be um they didn't call it hinder back then uh but it was effectively hinder and so i picked this one because it actually reminds me of uh, my favorite cost for special effects that i think could be getting more love. It's certainly not getting love from me when I write special effects, even though I like it a lot. And that's basically uh, specifically the cost that we mentioned earlier, where you choose or introduce something risky, ill-advised, or complicated. And so the special effect I picked was Big Mouth. Or uh, sorry, not Big Mouth. Big Mouth is the distinction that the player would have had. And then the special effect is called Loose Lips. You gain one plot point when you tell someone everything you know about subject with minimal prompting. Absolutely love that uh, idea because we, we can imagine a scenario where your cruise ship has docked. Uh, maybe our big mouth here is uh, at the bar, not even drunk. He just arrived at the bar and uh, someone who has invested interest in the crew for nefarious reasons just approaches him out of the blue, makes small talk, and our big mouth just talks about uh, the crew's next plan. And then we fast forward to next session and we have this whole new uh, third faction trying to get in on the uh, heist or whatever uh, because of our big mouth. I absolutely love that one. Yeah, that's great. And that's uh, that you said that's from Firefly, right? Yes, that was from Firefly. Uh, and then to get a modern example, again, this uh, the second one is professional work. We have Tales of Exadia, who have also decided to hang their special effects off of uh, distinctions. The one I'm going to read off is for the pre-made character, Tressel, he, him, who is this salty, snarky teenager who is a dark acolyte. They, they do dark magic in Tales of Exadia. They have a special effect called Bad to the Bone. Recover either afraid, exhausted, or insecure stress when you create a 
bad situation out of your actions. You notice there that I have once again picked a special effect with the same cost. You're choosing uh, where the character is choosing to do something harmful or ill-advised, to say the least, right? And uh, that just says that they just flat out get to recover a stress, uh, which is pretty powerful to just flat out recover a stress or complication, right? Because normally you have to roll for it, or you'll have special effects that are less powerful, where you'll get to step it down because of the special effect, but you don't necessarily recover it. So that's that's a big thing in exchange for creating uh, bad situations. That kind of uh, circles back to what JT and I were talking about earlier, where you know some special effects you get more oomph for, for your buck, and that should scale with either like uh, mechanical costs or more often than not narrative costs. Uh, we talked about the unwritten costs of potentially this isn't going to happen a lot, and we can argue that. You know, the player isn't unless they're me. I could I could see myself doing this a lot, but the, the but the player, your your average player, is not always going to keep creating a bad situation just so that they can recover, right? So that won't necessarily happen a lot, and uh, presumably, and that's why this special effect is kind of more powerful. You're not just stepping down when those stresses. You're you're getting rid of it entirely, and so those are two uh, two professional special effects that I have picked out mainly because I want more people to write the uh, choose to do or introduce something risky advice or complicated special effect. But GT, I believe you have a couple of special effects that you've written out. If you wouldn't mind also building some context around, uh, around that and just maybe just read it off and then give us your thoughts on why you wrote it that way. Sure. Yeah. So um, I've been kind of into the idea and like setting of like, Bronze Age, Mythic Age sort of stuff with, you know, like, you know, heroes and, you know, sort of like just the age of myth and mythology. So uh, I actually did a distinction based uh, or I did two distinction based special effects for a distinction that I called demigod hero, because you see a lot of that you know, in Greek mythology. So if you're playing a demigod hero, uh, one special effect that I created was that you could spend a plot point while engaged in combat with a titan in order to add a d8 titan's bane asset to the scene and you know that just sort of reflects the classic battles between gods and titans and you know they don't like each other very much and you know the gods always seem to be the ones who get the upper hand most of the time so i thought that that would sort of be uh, mechanically and narratively appropriate in that situation and then the second one i had when you're a demigod hero, you can't really go anywhere without being recognized for your deeds. I was actually thinking about this uh, just the other day because I uh, saw an episode of a Xeno Warrior Princess, which I haven't seen in a while. But uh, you know, oh, the yeah. Hercules made a uh, guest appearance in that, and uh, you know, basically everyone knew him by sight, pretty much, and wanted to talk about his labors and different things like that. So they they get a lot of attention. You know, they're like. You know, they're like the movie stars of the ancient era. So, yeah. So anyway, my special effect to reflect that is that you can uh, earn a plot point and create a D8 all eyes on me complication. And so what that's going to do narratively is uh, whenever you go anywhere, people are going to notice you and it's going to be really hard for you to, you know, sneak by unnoticed or basically to do anything without drawing some attention to yourself that has obvious consequences in the narrative for if you had to do something sneaky or if you didn't necessarily want to stand out too much. And so, but I figured that that fit sort of the demigod hero uh, feel I was going for pretty well. 
Yeah, I like it a lot. We've been talking about this whole time, but part of texturing stuff is like making sure that it reinforces the feel of your setting. Not every demigod hero in the setting might, you know, have that issue a lot where, you know, people are noticing them. But if it is someone like Hercules, where like everyone knows about Hercules, you know, I, th- I think that that definitely works to sort of distinguish that particular hero. We did talk about how you don't have to spend and earn plot points, but I, I just figured that that was a pretty straightforward and appropriate way to deal with it in this situation. You know, I, we could talk about doing something else, like maybe just engaging in combat with Titan could be a triggering effect or cost in terms of being risky or ill-advised. You know, you're putting yourself in danger whenever you go up against a Titan. There's always the chance that you may get knocked out or killed or whatever, so that you know, depending on how you feel and what the feel you want at your table is, that could be enough to just trigger uh, something like creating a Titan's Bane asset. Right. And, you know, to be fair to like the cost of just having a plot point to be what kicks it off, like we're going to do a different episode where we talk about plot points more in depth. To be fair, I mean, when you you have a special effect where you're uh, spending a plot point to do a thing, for some tables, that just might not exactly translate to anything narratively. It's just like if we're shooting a TV show, that's just their moment, right? They declare that they're spending a plot point. They do this presumably awesome thing. And then in other cases, we, we maybe just map this out to like pure luck or the, the divine intervention. I think most ideally, this would translate to something narratively, right? Like the situation has teed you up and now you're spending your meta currency to be like, I'm taking advantage of this situation. Yeah, for sure. So uh, those were mine. Uh, Kirby, I think you have a couple for us as well, right? I sure do. So both of mine are from two different Cortex builds that I personally just did for myself. At At the time of this recording... We have Avatar the Last, uh, Avatar Legends, right? Which is the Avatar the Last Airbender role playing game. Legends, because you're not necessarily playing in that era uh, with Aang as your avatar. Right, right. PBTA, actually. Powered by the Apocalypse, currently blowing records on uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, that's been nuts. But before they ever uh, announced that they were doing an Avatar role-playing game, uh, I went ahead and did it in Cortex, which Cortex handles it wonderfully, in my opinion. We've talked about priming Avatar in uh, one of our earlier episodes, I think, again, before they even announced that they were doing an official one. Yeah, we, 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 we knew which way the wind was blowing on that. You know, there was going to be an Avatar RPG. Sadly, you know, they didn't take our idea, but... That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. I've ran it in the setting for a couple of times, and uh, I have special effects hanging off distinctions. I feel like they hang most comfortably off of distinctions. But uh, the one I have is Tremor Sense. This is for an Earthbender distinction. Uh, rather than doing like power sets, I decided that if you wanted to be a bender, you just wrote down one of your distinctions, that you are such and such bender. And the reason why I did it that way is because, you know, if people want to play non-benders, I didn't want to, like, go through hoops trying to figure out, well, what do their power sets look like, right? Yeah, or worse, if they didn't have mm-hmm. powers, but then these other people did just because they decided they want to be benders, right? So right, yeah. I, I, I definitely I definitely appreciate the way you did that. Yeah. 
Uh, and so I wrote a special effect. So like, you know, uh, the special effect reads tremor sense, a stomp of your foot and you gain insight into your surroundings, spend a plot point to detect any person or object within a mile and track it to a source. So a couple of things about this and why I wrote it like this. Um, one important thing about special effects, uh, that we didn't, uh, go through and hopefully dear listener, uh, you have friends who were listening to this episode who didn't just stop because uh, early on in the thing, but something we probably should have talked about earlier is um, first and foremost, like for the world building here uh, in the discussion that I would have had with my players, especially if I had multiple earthbenders, is that you don't need a special effect that says that you can have the tough tremor sense thing. But I think like the world building conversation I would have had with my players is just be like, well, because uh, JT, you have this uh, tremor sense uh, special effect. You're so good at it. Um, you can actually track it to uh, track things, right? Whereas another earthbender, uh, Cam Banks, who has blessed my table by uh, <laughs> joining as a player, uh, might also be an earthbender, didn't have this um have a special effect but i was still like let cam uh try to do tremor sense it's just that one i would probably make them roll for it because their, their character is just not as good at it because all uh jt you have to do is just spend a plot point maybe cam has to actually roll for it right and then on top of that even if they do roll for it you know, potential complications aside from hitches, they can't necessarily keep tracking it as well as your character could, right? And so that's where we kind of get the texture between uh, two similar characters, two earthbenders. Yeah, I like that you brought that up because uh, there isn't really a reason why you couldn't have both earthbenders doing that sort of thing, like you said. But if you're really trying to highlight that this character can do that and that's a special effect, then you definitely don't want it to be something that everyone can do the same way. So I think like rolling for it, like you said, a perfectly legitimate way to handle that. You know, it just shows like, oh yeah, they can do it. It just takes more effort. It might not work as well or, you know, as often as this other person's does, but no reason you can't have both earthbenders in your campaign doing stuff like that. And the same character actually has a second distinction, which is Explorer and Guide. Now, that that didn't have any um, special effects attached under it, but one thing that we ne neglected to talk about earlier, and I think part of the reason is because I, I don't think it's explicitly written in Cortex Prime. Uh, skimming through this, I don't think it is. But you don't need to be using that trait necessarily in order to use a special effect. And what I mean by this is, you know, if my party was in the woods and they were tracking down, uh, let's let's say a bandit, right? And they're trying to get through a wilderness that they're just not familiar with. You know, it is very apt for them to decide to roll uh, exploring guide. You know, maybe they're using their trem uh, tremor sense special effect, which is attached to a completely different distinction, right? Um, they can still use that special effect to do it now. I don't know why it's not explicitly written in Cortex Prime. It was definitely written in Firefly. And I want to say that it was written in other works before. And I can for sure say that 
Cam on the Cortex Discord has mentioned being able to do that. But it is a thing that you can do. You don't necessarily have to be rolling that specific trait in order to benefit from the special effect. You just got to be willing to pay the cost. Yeah, I think as long as it makes narrative sense, that's kind of like the focus and goal in Cortex, right? Is to really put more importance and emphasis on the narrative. So as long as it makes sense for you to be using that special effects benefits, then I think you should be able to go for it for sure. And then I have a second special effect. Uh, I have to take a second to build context for this one. So this was for a one shot I ran at a mini virtual convention. And the setting is just this like half-baked idea that I have where it's basically Pathfinder or D&D meets the Wild West. Uh, The setting specifically Pathfinder characters I mean, I, I low-key want this to just be an extension of the Pathfinder setting. <laughs> Pathfinder characters go through a portal uh, because it's already been established in Pathfinder that there's lore for that. Because uh, if you didn't know, JT, elves in Pathfinder are actually aliens from a different planet. And they arrive to Galorian through portals. Uh, so there is a president for it. And so my thought for the setting was like, what if uh, they go through this portal and just arrive to the quote-unquote frontier, which is this world like their own. It's just not inhabited from uh, by any sentient creatures. It is a evolved Pathfinder setting where they start having sort of Wild West technology. So we have trains, uh, we have more guns than, than what Pathfinder already gives. And the idea is that you don't really have people who use sword and shield anymore. You have even fewer people learning to be a wizard because why be a wizard when in this setting, you can just go up the street and buy these enchanted guns. Uh, this set, this is a setting where they where it's easier to build these enchanted guns, and so you have uh, guns that can just fly up in the air while you're pulling out your own gun, uh, a third gun, and uh, those guns are firing on their own while flying in the air, and you're firing your own gun. Yeah, you have guns that will curve bullets and such, and so we're kind of getting at here is that uh, I decided to hang special effects off of signature assets, not just for the guns, but for like other magical items that you might associate with Pathfinder or D&D. I gave one such character in the setting brass knuckles of giant strength, right? And I had a special effect there where they can just knock people out of the scene uh, because they're so strong. The specific special effect that I want to give here, and this will come with the limits that we'll also talk about, is that I uh, I gave a character um, these twin revolvers uh, that can curve bullets. Now, by itself, they don't need a special effect to curve bullets. The setting, the world building of the all assumes that because they have these guns with the specific like inscribed runes or whatever have you, it can curve bullets. They just get to roll that die when they're using their gun and to just curve bullets if, the, if that's what they want. To kind of like texture this a little bit, uh, what makes this guy who can uh, curve bullets better than than the next uh, character is just the way that they choose to, to curve bullets. And so for this character, I imagine that they are able to spend a plot point to meet their enemies uh, enemies bullet for bullet uh, and step down their effect die against you or another character. And so the idea here is that 
they are so like precise with their minute movements of the curving that they can just knock other people's bullets out of the air midair, right? And this is different from another character that I gave a special effect uh, where their gun can also curve bullets, but their special effect was specifically they, they can spend a plot point to provide cover fire and make a target unable to move or act while their sights are on them. The idea being that like they're showing such impressive skill with curving the bullets, but they can't quite reach the person that they're shooting at. So they're just going to just hold them in place, intimidating the person effectively um, from even moving an inch. Uh, Cause that moving inch might, you know, spell the end for them. And so we <laughs> have, awesome. yeah. So we have two characters here, both with signature assets that are similar they're able to do different things because of like just how they've trained themselves or just what their character is uh, better at, etc. Right. And to kind of fall back on the limits uh, here um, for the setting, I had two limits that were just kind of like global limits, as it were. One limit just said all guns are susceptible to being lost, broken, or simply running low on ammo. Clear when these things happen to the gun of your choice and getting a plot point, plot point test to restore. And then it's, it's also still a magic setting. Um, so when it came to magic items or like actually casting spells yourself, I had a limit there because I had magic items and magic knowledge listed as signature assets. Um, written out uh, uh, as a limit itself, which is like all magic taps out eventually. The conscious mind can ha only handle so much stress before it breaks, shut down any magic power to gain a plot point and activate an opportunity to uh, restore. So I had a character that just generically had primal magic signature assets and that came with its own special effects. I mentioned that character who had the brass knuckles of giant strength. Maybe that gets tapped out, but you know, Limits are in the hands of the players for the most part. So I'll let the player decide when it gets tapped out, uh, unless I have extra plot points to spend as a game moderator. And so those were my examples. Man, so you have to run this, uh, you have to run this setting now because I am here for it. The idea is just really cool. Yeah, I, I pitch it to people as like orcs and denim, curving bullets, and a low amount of magic tech on the frontier. And it's just this half-baked setting that I've been meaning to get to paper for some system. Maybe it could be Cortex. I've clearly have already done it for it eventually, but we'll see. We'll see. Nice. Yeah, I, I noticed, you know, you've got that those uh, wanted curving bullet influences there. And also, I don't know if you've ever watched Outlaw Star. But uh, they've got the caster shells, which are like magic bullets. So same idea there, a little, or at least similar idea there. I had some other ideas that you could be doing with guns, like uh, where it's like explosive shells um, on like impact, or maybe they just explode midair. Those type of magic guns basically create like area effects, and uh, basically you you would buy the gun uh, and it has a specific effect per gun so you might have one gun that like you can just heal people by just shooting at them create like a, a a cloud of healing smoke or alternatively you could be buying a different gun where it's just like corrosive right which is also horrifying so maybe not great for uh if you're playing with a younger audience but yeah a lot of magic gunplay here 
uh, really leaned into signature assets. And so that's why I chose to hang my special effects off of signature assets, because the setting assumed uh, that all the player characters, at the least, were capable, you know, frontier people who can shoot a gun, right, uh, and survive on the frontier. So then where do I distinguish that? And I decided to do it with uh, signature assets and how their specific signature asset worked. Yeah, nice. I like it. And I think that was a good demonstration of some various special effects there that went went beyond just your typical stuff. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I've written very, very typical stuff too. But I think it helps that I, frankly, I steal ideas from what's already been published. Like I still tap the Firefly RPG for special effect ideas. The special effect that I mentioned earlier for the Avatar one, that's frankly ripped from not the Earth control power that's listed back there. Although you, you, you would think that I would tap that a lot. But I believe that's actually ripped from uh, whatever they call the um, uh, super uh, senses, right? That's a, that's a piece of advice I can give. If you're, if you're like me and you're also trying to steal stuff from the massive list of powers which come with like six special effect per power don't be afraid to like branch off is like sure we have an earthbender who is doing the earth control but maybe they use that um, earth control to like uh, effectively paralyze somebody by encasing them in stone right and so you can just walk over to the paralysis power that's in the back of the book and uh, pull from that as well you know, feel free to like mix and match. Uh, feel free to, you know, tap what's already there for special effect ideas. And the book does give more special effect ideas when it comes to powers. But obviously, as we kind of touched on earlier, while it's very easy to think of special effects for powers, you could just be writing special effects for average people like the grizzled vet uh, example we gave earlier. Uh, but yeah. Uh, JT, did you have anything else? No, I, I would just say that I agree with you that you can definitely borrow stuff from the book that's already there and even uh, appropriate it to use it for something else. Because, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, uh, you know, if you don't feel the need to write your own unique sort of thing and you just like how they do, you know, the effects in the book, then just go with that. And it's less work for you. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's all we have going on. If you have questions or ideas for future episodes, you know, we're, we're especially looking for ideas for new segments that could be helpful to our listeners rather than just doing interviews or just talking about mechanics. Although if you do have more topics that you want to listen to, definitely shoot those our way too. Yeah. And you can find the various places that we're at. Uh, through the link tree that I'm going to include in the show notes. But we are effectively on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, probably other random stuff that JT has signed us up for. I Discord, don't know. you know. Yeah, we're, we're typically at PBC Pod or thereabout for those various things. Again, that will all just be in the show notes. Um, and yeah, JT and I are also in the Discord. Uh, at the time of this recording, I haven't been that active on the Cortex Discord. But, you know, if you want to hit myself up or hit JT up, I, I believe we're both on there using our real names, yeah. uh, at least for that server. Uh, so feel free to ping us. But 
Also, it's just a fantastic community that you should go check out with people who are way smarter than JT or myself to include Cam Banks and uh, also Melly and Josh Roby and just all those personalities who have actually like done work on or around Cortex Prime uh, directly. I don't know. I feel like I know Cortex better than Cam does. Yeah, I, th- I think Cam could take some notes from us, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> next interview. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, uh, great. Great to be back, everyone. And we're really looking forward to uh, getting you some more content in the future. So, yeah, send us your thoughts, you know, rate us on iTunes and wherever else you listen to us, you know, so we can uh, get, you know, reach more people. But, yeah, I guess we'll uh, see you next time. Later. Do 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 do.